I guess, uh, much like in the gladiator ring and in the field of combat, mm-hmm. Patrick and I like to shake hands before every podcast and say strength and honor. Yes. Uh, I make a joke about uh, Don's gruel potentially being poisoned. Mm, yeah. You know, but I, I love that Russell Crowe wrote the strength and honor line apparently. It sounds like he had he he may have had some argument with the WGA for an arbitration hearing. <laughs> <laughs> might have a case there. Yeah, it's little like, Russ might have a case. Little Russ, yeah. Ryder Russ, that's what they call him. Ryder Russ, ride or die. Hello and welcome to the award-winning podcast, The Academy Academy, the show that discovers the absolute, undeniable, and scientifically proven greatest performance in your favorite actor's career. I'm Don Saunderson. I'm Patrick Gremion, and I just want to chill where the uh, the pink stones are warmed by the sun, and uh, I have a bunch of figs, apples, and pears. I just want to yeah. like tend to my figs, apples, and pears. I'm just a humble farmer. But I'm also perhaps the greatest militaristic warrior in the history of the world. And um, not too shabby in one-on-one contests either. I I could have been like the Dune Emperor. I could have been like, I'm I'm a normal humble farmer guy, but I'm also Boy, like he, perfection. He, he would have beheaded Timothy Chalamet with ease. Welcome to the Academy. <laughs> and... This week, we got a good one on on our hands. It is 2000's Ridley Scott's film from the year 2000, Gladiator. Mm-hmm. Um, epic historical drama film, if you will. Gladiator, and we're just, I mean, if you haven't seen Gladiator, um, good on you. I mean, cool. Like, yeah, you have <laughs> enjoy a good your, movie. Enjoy yourself. I, I don't know what to tell you that, but yeah, well, it, most people it, have seen it by this point. Well, it's also like one of those good movies that like um hasn't been like ruined by pop culture yet. The way that like Sixth Sense has kind of been like, I guess you kind of know where Gladiator is going, I, even if you haven't seen it. You, what you I must. like is it kind of like peaked, and now it's just found like a subtle, nice like upper tier plane of dad movie. Where it's probably going to live forever, like The Great Escape or something like that. It's probably just going to yeah. go there, wherever it's... that world is. Where it's just like, <laughs> you know, some dad or grandpa somewhere is watching it right now, and they're 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 like, man, it's a good movie. I like that this. Movie. Is like a thinking dad's movie. This is like the type of movie for a dad that will uh, tell you that when a uh, a cannonball hits the ground, it doesn't go straight into the earth; it bounces back up. It's the only thing, yeah, yeah, the dad who has read a bunch of books about the Roman Empire and wants to tell you about all the historical inaccuracies in Gladiator. Who gives a crap, dad? Yeah, <laughs> like, get out of here, dad. Who cares? <laughs> <laughs> don't make me, I don't want to wedge you my own father. Yeah, exactly, you damn nerd. Um, <laughs> Gladiator is currently streaming in a lot of places. It's on Netflix, it's on Paramount Plus through Amazon Prime. If you don't have any of those you can rent it and then there's also um it has a glorious and long-standing history maybe one of the last movies that will be always readily available on physical media <laughs> oh man for sure it is like definitely not only available on physical media but it is packed to the gills with like goodies it's like a goodies like uh special uh, blu-ray it has like all the special features 
And um, real quick, before we dive into Ridley Scott and Gladiator, I got to ask you, Pat- Patrick, you saw Avatar Way of Water again mm-hmm. today, second time yes. around. Yes. I have been sitting around saying to myself, they're really better than Aliens. <laughs> oh, <laughs> like, my goodness. Since we recorded that episode. <laughs> second guessing has been happening in the last few days uh despite the fact i still have very fond memories and think it's masterful and i can't i mean i'm gonna see it again like december 30th i think and um yeah looking forward to it but man like and again we're talking about top 10 of the year list it's like how do you even compare like avatar with decision to leave or bardo or something yeah like how do you compare how do you compare avatar to walk up you... yeah like hong sang su is like look at this like it's from a different universe and oh it's hard i don't know i'm confused so i gotta ask like are you still confident in your number two spot you can be quick here you know we don't have to dive mm. too deep Still sitting, still uh, marinating. It's tough. I'm marinating. It's really good. It's a second time around, it didn't have like I didn't have any fatigue watching it. It was very enjoyable. Um, the person I was with watching it with did bring up, uh, why don't they just clone the 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 evil whales or the good whales? Why don't they clone the whales and then get the goo that way? Uh, and then I was like, there's probably a science reason for why they don't do that. Don't make me well, yeah, you. I guess that would be a question of like, what is the physiology of like cartridge now? Yeah, what is up with cartridge? Hey, how does here's a here's the thing, man. Don't think about Avatar, just experience it. He Put thought about it to... a lot, but I mean, there's still a lot to think about. Like, there uh, oh, for be... sure. Yeah, I mean... There's a lot of, there's so many questions with like, or like, well, how did that baby get born? What has happened? Was it Norm? So I get I, I we're spoiling again. Oh God, yeah, we're spoiling again. Sorry, folks. We'll be maybe I'll, here. I'll do some skip ahead like some skip ahead like three minutes. So Quartridge says to the um, Jungle Boy, "What was his name? Spider. Spider Socorro. I'll always be able to track you. I have a tracking device in your mask, and it never comes up again. The rest of the movie." I kept waiting for that, like, Quartridge to find, like, at the end of the movie to, like, do, like, a mustache twirling, gotcha again! <laughs> you know, he, like, tracks them down or something. So it's gotta be Avatar 3. It's gotta be planned for Avatar 3, right? Yeah, I think so. I want... Here's the things I want from Avatar 3. We're in the spoiler zone. Number one, tracking device. Number two, I want a return of Scoresby with a robot arm. Mm-hmm. That has to happen. He didn't die, I don't think. I think he just, his arm got cut off. And he's, and it says on Wikipedia, uh, Brendan Cowell, he's in Avatar 3, so Wikipedia has never lied. Yeah, I guess the yeah, robot arm, I like it. I really like that a lot. Um, my only wish, Snow Planet. Yes. <laughs> like, let's yes. Get, let's get him in the snow. Let's get him in nope. the ice. I still want, uh, like, just Cleveland. I want Avatar Cleveland. That was the first Avengers movie. <laughs> yes. It's basically where they shot that. that. 100%. They shot it in space Cincinnati. All right. Enough Avatar talk. Let's get to Ridley okay. Scott here. Ridley, I was just looking at it before we, dumped on, before we jumped on, kind of looking at his filmography. Mm. He did not have a very good 90s. It was a bad tip. Tepid decade for this man. Tepid. And um, 
you know, he freely admits, like, heading toward the end of the 90s, he was very, very fortunate not to be in director jail. But mm. all things considered, I mean, he was expanding his empire. His son made his directorial debut. He was doing all this stuff. But in terms of like the everyday, you know, big director who makes a movie every three years or whatever, the mm. 90s did not, other than Thelma and Louise, which felt by, I imagine by the end of the 90s felt like an anomaly more so than like, like an exception to the rule rather than the rules that he was good yeah. or whatever. Yeah, because it's like four strikes after, you know, as much as like there are interesting aspects to 1492 and White Squall and G.I. Jane, it's yeah, it's it's tough. That's a rough road to tread on, brother. Indeed, indeed. So he was he he definitely like needed something. Mm -hmm. And um, apparently while he was shooting White Squall in those huge tanks in Malta the water tanks he was strolling around and looking or looking at all the scenery and his he was like oh boy this would look really nice for like a roman epic like mm. some of the scenery here planted you know but unfortunately of course the roman epic by the late 90s was considered a absolutely positively dead on arrival genre there was yeah I mean, like, yeah. who cares? The Gen X sensibility does not, like, mesh well to a uh, sword and sandals epic, to say well, the least. Nor did even, like, the new Hollywood guys. Like, yeah. it really wasn't their style either. <laughs> yeah. God, yeah, because, like, there's not even, like, are there, like, any, because, like, I, I, yeah, there's more Westerns than sword and sandals even at that time. Yeah, crazy. Well, I also think, too, like, if you consider the two, like, the movement, the bigger movements of those eras, there was like maybe the Simpson Bruckheimer blockbuster era, but the new Hollywood and then the Miramax nineties, they were all like kind of distinctly American and distinctly urban mm. in their settings. And if not, if they were American, they worked within genres like gangster Western, like distinctly American, even musical, distinctly American genres. Right, 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 right. Distinctly American milieus. Yep. And so the historical epic, the grand scale sword and sandals thing, the only uh, the comparable thing I could think of was a few years later, everyone had the exact same feeling about the Pirates of the Caribbean movie. It was like, what? A pirate movie? Who cares? And Cutthroat Island was still, the taste of Cutthroat Island was still Ooh. thick in the, the, in the mouths of The movie everyone. that killed Matthew Modine's career almost. Yeah, it killed it. I mean, it beat at the very least hurt everyone involved's career. God, yeah, because like And it killed the, the production company Carlico that did like Terminator 2. Oh my god, you're right. Yeah. Was it was it uh who directed was it Yan DeBont? It was uh Rennie Harlan. And it did uh, hurt his career as well. and you know, I mean he's like you know, I think he's making movies in China now. Oof. Yeah, <laughs> I mean who yeah, I mean, who, <laughs> I mean, you, I know. Guess you gotta you gotta I, pay the 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 Covetus or Spartacuses of the world seem Aww. distant memory. Distant memory. So on that note though, coming off of a success of getting his screenplay in Steven Spielberg's hands for Amistad, screenwriter David Franzoni decided he actually was interested in this supposedly dead genre. 
Uh, he had read a book about the Roman games with, with an absolutely sensational title, Those About to Die. It makes me want to read this book just you know because what that title so badass. You know how he got that book? He was, like, on, like, a, um, I forget if he, like, graduated from grad school or if he, like, left grad school temporarily, but he was, like, traveling, like, the Eastern Bloc, and this is, like, in the 70s, early 70s, he was traveling the Eastern Bloc, Western Europe, Turkey, he ended up in fucking Baghdad and, like, traded a book about the Irish Revolution to a guy for that book you're discussing, and then when he was in India... He was like, I want to become a screenwriter and write about it. Because this is a good idea. This book's good. Yeah. I want to turn this into a movie someday. So that dude's like, his life is crazy. He looks, it's funny, like, um, I, seeing his talking head, he kind of reminds me of, like, uh, <laughs> Henry Winkler's character in Barry. Yeah. <laughs> but it's kind of like if that guy had lived this insane globetrotting life. I don't know. It's wild. Well, there are very few screenwriters who are like William Goldman who have, like, 15 top-notch hits oh yeah most of them have like one or two like ultra high points like a guy like eric roth who wrote insider is a rarity who you know who has hit after hit after hit right right right, yeah uh so i mean coming off amistad though he had the ear of dreamworks he had the ear of steven spielberg he had the ear of producers walter parks and laurie mcdonald and he pitched the idea and delivered his first draft of this epic Roman Colosseum massive sword and sandal film action adventure film to them on April 4th 1998 his script Mm. was kind of a mishmash of interesting historical characters people from that era Um, for instance he had kind of heard a rumor that Commodus had been strangled to death by a wrestler named Narcissus in the arena and so he was like well okay we can that seems cool you know mold that yeah just take (laughs) which you know i mean we live in an era where everybody confuses movies with documentaries and like journalism and it's like sometimes you just want to like again like (laughs) as far where those chariots come out and Maximus has the entire gang like under orders to stop those chariots in the first call to fight. Who cares? It's awesome. It's We're great. fun. We're yeah. fun. Well, one thing too is like, um, is Franzoni wanted to like make sure that um, he wanted the movie to feel like semi. He didn't want it to feel stodgy. He felt that like a problem with all the past Sword mm-hmm. and Sandals movies is they're very like it's very like um, they're dry. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And he wanted it to. He wanted. He was. Uh, he was. Uh, at one point, he actually kind of like pitched what he was writing to Spielberg, and he said, "So the Colosseum, uh, Rome. Rome is good. Is like was like Los Angeles a thousand years ago. The Colosseum was like Dodger Stadium. Proximo is basically a CAA agent. Yeah, <laughs> which is like a really funny speaking, <laughs> speaking Spielbergo's language. <laughs> yeah, it's like oh, oh now I, I see what you're talking about. <laughs> I can't believe they didn't. I, I'm really surprised. And they must have. There's just no real record of it. They must have pitched him first to direct it. They, I think so, yeah. They didn't, they yeah, they didn't, they didn't, didn't elaborate. Any, yeah, I didn't find any record. But, I mean, he's right there. Come on. Yeah, <laughs> he, he would have. I think he would have crushed it, too, actually. Too. Although, yeah. yeah, yeah. Be, do you think it would be? I don't even think it would be. I guess it would be a little more like. 
I guess like less like dirty, probably. I guess that'd be the only major difference. Oh, although well, I don't know. There actually is a key influence on Gladiator that Spielberg did direct only one year prior to it, oh. which is, and we'll get to kind of that in the production phase. But you know, to tell you all now, it is of course Saving Private Ryan, Ooh. and the style of the opening of Saving Private Ryan and the D-Day beach, very reminiscent of the Germania final battle that opens uh, Gladiator. Very true. And that was absolutely on Ridley Scott's mind of trying to actually one-up Steven Spielberg. Does he? <laughs> you decide. It's hard. It's, it's very cool. It's, it's successful. There's no doubt about that. Um, so apparently Parks and McDonald, the two, two of the producers on the film, did have Ridley Scott him almost immediately on their shortlist, and smartly so. He was, you know, mm-hmm. kind of made for this kind of picture. And they presented him with a painting because they had heard of Dan O'Bannon doing something very similar on Alien. And um, Patrick has it as his background <laughs> right now. And this painting is by a French painter known as Jean-Léon Jérôme. And it's called Police Verso from 1872, which is Latin for with a turned thumb. And it's essentially, if you see the painting, and we'll, we'll post a um, photo of the paint photo of the painting. We'll post the, an image of the painting yeah, yeah, on our Twitter sure, feed sure. so you can all see it, but it's very clear. Like, it's all there. Yeah. In his painting it's... of what is to come. And it gave mm-hmm. Ridley kind of, I mean, you could see the the buzzers going off in Ridley's head as, um, as he saw it. And he also saw it as an opportunity to world build and really kind of, I think, make a definitive statement about what he did. He knew he, you know, he's too competitive and he's too aware of the biz not Mm. to know that he kind of needed to hit a home run with this one. Right. This was his make or break film. Basically. This was yes. And you know, the, the success of film and the ways again, long ago. And according to, I like this sentence in Ian Nathan's book, simply a fourth film might be fatal. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> fourth slot. Um, oh, no. And um, Ridley said simply to this, my life is based on risk, and I like it that way. <laughs> I love this, man. He's, so, the Scott like brothers. A, they're just tough guys. Tough guys. <laughs> <laughs> they would beat me up. They yeah, would they would. Up. And, um, you know, they did a bunch of test footage and just, and really said he realized two things from looking at the test footage. One was a stunner. He finally knew exactly who he was as a director. Oh, my God. I've discovered that I have an artistic side, he declared, like the mist clearing to reveal paradise. And that I really like creating worlds. Also, while he did these this test footage, and I mean, I could have told you this, and I'm not a studio executive, Ridley realized he needed a leading man with serious presence. Oh, I mean, for sure. Come on. I think, like, this is a movie star. The movie star is movie star part. Like, there's yeah. a handful of guys. You know, we talk about there's only five people in Hollywood. This is these this is the five people going yeah. this position. And even them, they need specifics. Yeah, like I don't know if DiCaprio fits the bill for this. <laughs> and and there really actually is this point in time in 1998 99 when they're developing and shooting this movie. 
there probably only is one man who is at the level needed, you know, and that, and even he was not actually in that upper echelon at this point when it came out. But a couple of the names thrown around, I think the obvious choice, despite his late Latter-day Sins, Mel Gibson was the mm-hmm. obvious choice on everyone's mind. And But yeah. then he, of course, he, in a very honest moment, said, I'm too old and I already did Braveheart. Yeah. Very, yeah, which is <laughs> yeah. Like, like, told, told it how it was. Told it exactly how and it he, was. Yeah, and, and then he went on to do The Patriot, too. Yeah. So that's essentially same yeah. year. Same year. Wow. Um, and I think Braveheart looms large. Braveheart was probably the most recent version of this kind of movie. Not exactly a Roman one, but this kind of like massive historical epic. Right. Uh, I just watched the film The Woman King. Really liked it a lot. And the director of that film name dropped Gladiator, Braveheart, and The Last of the Mohicans as kind of the essentials of the 90s in, and early 2000s in this genre. She's right. Yeah, yeah, those are the yeah. You need like that scope, and you need mm-hmm. like, and it is only like a Daniel Day Lewis, a blank, a blank, like that sort of actor. Even to this new one, uh, Viola Davis. You need yeah, a power, a you need a powerhouse. You, you need, know, yeah, you need big energy. You need a big yeah. You need a powerhouse and exactly. Some of the other actors that were considered for this mystery, mis- this mysterious leading role. Um, when Franzoni wrote the script, he had Antonio Medeiros in line, and I would have liked that because I'm That's a huge, I'm a huge fan. I mean, I'm just selfishly a huge Antonio Medeiros fan, but um, you know, he would have certainly been able to woo Connie Nielsen with relative ease. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I would love to see like would this be like a cheekier Maximo? I kind of like that. It would have been funnier, I think. Um, yeah, that's the thing. Like, see, that's the thing is like you almost need someone who doesn't have a sense, of, or like at least appears to not have a sense of humor or something. Which we'll get to when with the choice. <laughs> and um, they uh, Tom Cruise was considered because I mean in nineteen ninety eight. You know, yeah, like we were saying about DiCaprio is now in 1998, every actor who was Tom Cruise's age got the pick of the litter with the parts Tom Cruise said no to. He was the number mm-hmm. one guy. Might still be the number one guy. By the way, I, uh, at, at the at our screening, we saw I saw the um, the crazy like stunt trailer for yeah. Mission Impossible where it's like they build that giant ramp. Yeah. And he bikes off of like, is he is he motorcycle off of like a giant ramp into like a crazy into, a, into a, like a base jump? Yeah, like, and, yeah, and the look on his face. There's this one second right before he motorcycles where he's like, "What have I fucking done?" Like, and everyone in the audience kind of laughed because it shows he's like, it shows he's a human being if he's behaving like that. Like, yes, it's good. I'm glad you you need a little bit, but and then we all, but then the thing too is everyone clapped when he did it. And because although he's, it's, he's doing it for us, man. Yeah, you know, he's he's doing it for us. It's crazy. It is crazy. Also, I love that they've been tension. There was tension in that moment as if like, like, he's not going to die. You don't need to. My favorite character in every one of these Tom Cruise stunt videos is Christopher McQuarrie standing right off to like the right or left on all of these things with this look (laughs) on his face, like even through his like COVID mask, this look on his face, like I am really screwed. If this goes bad, <laughs> like, yeah, be like, care for my friend, but oh 
boy, they're going to be looking at me if this goes bad. Oi, McGoy. I'm going to be shooting with Rennie Arlen soon if this yeah, doesn't work yeah. well. Yeah, I know. I'm like talking about director jail. Chill <laughs> yeah. Tom Cruise. going to be directing the next iteration of the Ip Men. Yes, Chairman Mao. Chairman G. Chairman G, yes. Thank you, sir. Anyway, I think, I don't know, I think Tom Cruise, he's such a star, but he doesn't have kind of the, um, like, when you talk about a guy like Mel Gibson, he's got that such a dark energy. Yeah. Like a dark charisma. Tom Cruise doesn't have a dark charisma. And I think you need an actor with that in this role. Like, and, a, and actually a really, like, masculine actor. Frank, oh, with, for, sure. for lack of a better term, it is very essential to this role too. Yeah, um, well, and and it's like all of those come into play when I bring up this last person we heard <laughs> was discussed, which insane. This is jaw dropping. Um, Tom Sizemore, who has come up many, many times on our show, <laughs> never so in crazy. a role anything like this. It's like, <laughs> like it's, I think about how we saw him in Enemy of the State. state. The sweatiest man, it's only like, you know. Yeah, like not doing well. He is a corrupt cop. He is a corrupt official. He's a corrupt mob guy. Or he can play like the best friend to a member to the lead member of your crew, and that crew can either be like Neil McCauley's crew in Heat or Tom Hanks's crew in Saving Private Ryan. But he's not. Tom Hanks. He's no. not like Robert De Niro. Like, I mean, I'm sorry. Like, and you know, like he's he's great in these movies. He's like always like exciting when he pops up and he's crazed. And I know his personal life he is crazed. Yeah. So like, but wild. And I want part of me is like, was Tony like drinking with Ridley one night? Tony's like, yeah, this guy. <laughs> you know, like, he's a real freak. A this real one, freak, this one, he's wild, man. It would be crazy if you cast him. I can, you know who has come up so often on our show? Who's not on this list? Viggo Mortensen. Ooh, man. I think, I think he could have done it. I think, yeah, he done it. yeah. That would have been at the very least like an interesting, like, yeah, because like he did it with Aragorn. Yeah, like Aragorn's I mean, he did it basically... a couple years later. He got the same part. Basically. Yeah, it's essentially the same character, like that <laughs> level of like you know finery, and so yeah, that would have he would have been an interesting. Uh, he would have been a great. Uh, he would have been a great Maximus, but you know the Absolutely. one we got. Ain't too the shabby. one we got. Of course, we have not talked about this actor since the Al Pacino season and the film The Insider, and it is of course Russell Crowe. Mm. The producers in studio had him at the top of their list from the very inception of getting the script and this was due to his performance in 1997's LA Confidential which he which was kind of his American breakthrough performance he had done um you know a lot of people got to kind of like were hearing word of him with the neo-nazi movie he did Romper Stomper which is a pretty oh, heavy yeah. heavy duty movie and he also was in um the Denzel Washington sci-fi thriller Virtuosity as the Ooh. villain, which is my first introduction to Russell Crowe, of course, <laughs> in the 90s, an action movie. I saw it. Um, and he's um, the fourth lead among many heavy hitters in Sam Raimi's The Quick and the Dead. 
Ooh, yeah. Alongside of DiCaprio, Sharon Stone, and Gene Hackman. Great movie. I like that one a lot. I think it's really underrated. <laughs> side nice. note, side a lot of, <laughs> so like, Yeah, I feel like a lot of like Sam Raimi's um, more... Uh, he had like a great run in the 90s. Like some really, really fun... Yeah, yeah like non... His like, like, non-franchise, non-Evil Dead, non-Spider-Man stuff is all interesting even like his like romantic comedy for romantic film for the love of the game the baseball movie with kevin costner that he did he he's he's too good of a director he he, he i mean like i haven't seen the, the doctor strange because i'm too far behind but he's like the closest thing to bring me in to something like that but yeah i mean oh. yeah that one won't bring you in <laughs> crow was at the top of the list and he got the script knee deep in production of the insider which, of course, if you know, recall for the insider, he, you know, he's got the bleached white hair. He's 40 <laughs> pounds heavier than he is. He's playing older. He's in it. He's fighting with Michael Mann every day. Like, like talk. I mean, not Michael Mann sets or high octane macho sets. And they were all feeling it at that point. Um, and Crow was reluctant to take it on he was not too interested in doing it he was exhausted he was just like this guy's hard <laughs> jeffrey wygan was a hard character to play yeah and i'll talk a little bit later on about the academy awards and why i think crow's academy award for gladiator might be a bit of a combo like you did really well in Gladiator as a movie star, but you're all, you were really good in The Insider last year too. There's a whiff there's a, of there's, there's a whiff of one year too late to yeah, it, but for sure. Year before that was your Denzel one for Training Day. What are you gonna do? No, what are you gonna do? Happens. They're great. It's embarrassment of riches for movie fans. You can't give you can't cut that award in half and give it to two people. Come on, that's insane. <laughs> no one wants the butt. So I guess, though, it was um, Michael Mann heard about this offer and basically sat Russell Crowe down and said, Ridley Scott is one of the finest visualists in this business. This is one you take. (laughs) (laughs) You can't can't say no to that. You can't say no to that. (laughs) And, (laughs) you know, Crowe was... um, and I guess the producer, Walter Park, basically came up to him and said, it's a $100 million film. You're being directed by Ridley Scott, and you play a Roman general. Come on. <laughs> like, you know, it's like... And, Come on, dude. And, you know, Russell Crowe is right there on the precipice. He's a respected actor. He's got a hunk cred in addition to, like, chop cred happening mm-hmm. for him. He's, like, in his late 30s. It's like he's, like, right there for a home run level yeah. part to I think, put like, him over the top and make him like a superstar. Yeah. Never has uh, a, a, a film role been so serendipitous to a specific actor. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And it's and it, and specific actors, personality and style, and every, and look yeah. and everything in between. He is made for it and yeah, they knew it. Like a... They all knew it. And unfortunately he knew it, Ooh. which gave him a so I'm excited about this. In essence, we'll get to the script actually in a bit because I actually think because the script is such a 
interesting character in this story. We don't necessarily need to tell the story of this movie until a little bit later on. Mm-hmm. Um, but the part is of Maximus, the heroic Roman general, larger than life, man's man, who, um, to quote Commodus, the general who became a slave, the slave who became an icon or something like that. Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> and he goes through this entire journey, basically, of um, it's a revenge story, yeah. all things considered, of he has everything torn away from him. He has to fight his way back up to save his name, get revenge, and end up kind of saving the Roman Republic simultaneously, mm-hmm. which seems like a lot. But the way that they have written this Maximus character, he's the only person in the history of the universe who could probably pull this off. Yeah. And um and I guess one of the, so so Russell Crowe though signs on but he immediately lets his feelings about the script be known. Oh no. It's a piece of shit. It's bullshit. It's a piece of shit. <laughs> Hates it. He um basic it was um chaotic. We'll just put it that way. Crow yeah. estimated that the first 32 pages were ready, covering the opening battle and the power games that followed. He was like, nah, to the rest of it. So as Patrick mentioned, they brought in John Logan to do rewrites, pump up all the characters. By all accounts as well, there was a meeting in Ridley Scott's uh, trailer that not only did Russell Crowe go to, but he brought... Joaquin Phoenix, Oliver Reed, and the rest of the cast with him oh, to God. complain about all of their parts. That's like, because you think about this cast, like, you have fucking, like, Oliver Reed, Derek Jacoby, and Richard Harris. So you have, like, three of the most venerated English actors, like, like giving you dagger eyes. That's terrifying. You have some opinions, we'll put it that way, among even the, as we head into the supporting cast, all brilliant. Some of the best actors ever, all yes. things considered. But all opinionated actors. Yes. Your thoughts on how thoughts on process and how things should go. Literally the only like yeah, because like literally the only old classic like English actor missing is like Peter O'Toole. Who um was like all of their best friend and they wanted him in the game. They wanted him in the mix. Yes, <laughs> give him like one more yeah david hemmings is in this and i mean no slouch himself it's really something his eyebrows are incredible yes and his wig his wig game so (laughs) so good crow though actually when you hear what he has been credited for and given credit for actually was bringing the heat with good ideas like Mm. and i think it's because like we were saying he understood completely what this meant to both his career and like the part itself mm-hmm. and what was needed to like put it over the top he um he came up with the strength and honor motto he wow. came up with the brushing the dirt on the hands he was the one who gave maximus the full name in the big speech when he gives his full name rather than just maximus because he rightfully was concerned about the reviews that would say Mad Maximus. Mm. Smart. Yeah. 
It's very yeah. smart. He apparently, though, refused to do the um, I will have vengeance in this life or the next for like the entire day line, which that's he's wrong on that line. Like gives you chills when he says it. It's awesome. Yeah, <laughs> like, it's good. He needs to it's calm good. down. Yeah. <laughs> he needs he, to chill yeah, out. Like a high, strong guy, who, admittedly, I think he's an amazing actor. And mm-hmm. I, if I ever got to make a movie and he was on the table as someone to cast, I'd do it. I'd suck it up. I would like, oh. you know, he just doesn't suffer fools, and he wants to be a part of the conversation. For like sure. I would do it. You know, and I know, you know, like. You know, he has a reputation of being difficult. You know, the South Park guys made fun of him endlessly. You know, that episode where he just like Russell Crowe tours the world oh, getting into yeah. fights and that kind of thing. Yeah. So, guys, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but rounding out the cast. Mm-hmm. So the there is um, Connie Nielsen plays the roar, the roar. <laughs> <laughs> of <laughs> Lucilla. Uh, she's a Danish actress who is a very good actor. Um, was married to Lars Ulrich from Metallica for a spell, which I always wow. find very fascinating. Um, and she plays Maximus's former lover, daughter of Marcus and daughter of Marcus Aurelius. She has recently been widowed and has a son named a precocious son named Lucius. Apparently, Jennifer Lopez angled really really hard for this role and i think she would have been a little distracted i think you need someone who's like obviously has like movie star looks and gravitas but someone with a little bit more like less pop culture like unknown almost yeah exactly that's actually a great like oh she was in devil's advocate too Oh yeah, she's like yeah, she's like one of the friends in Devil's Out. Evil. She's evil the, she's the friends. lady. She's the real like scary. She's the temptress to Keanu, to mm. Swamp Attorney. Yeah. Um, don't be yeah, happy with she, her, Charlie. She's she's really really well cast, and I think she and Russell Crowe look really good together. She plays off everyone really well. She plays really well off of um, Hakeem. Yes. Well, so the next up is the role of Commodus. The um, Emperor to be of Rome, who is maybe the original fail son. Man, yeah, he might be the OG fail son. You're right, the original OG fail son, and who is brought to life in perhaps. I mean, I shouldn't be surprised, but I haven't seen this movie in like 15 years. Mm-hmm. How good is Joaquin Phoenix? He's, He's so phenomenal. Good in this. He's phenomenal in the movie. Like he understands every little he does all these little like little extra bonus moves dernsies if you will all over the place to turn him from like he could just be a mustache twirling villain he could be billy zane in (laughs) titanic nothing wrong with that it would have worked but commodus is like contains multitudes because of it he's a really weird strange insecure creep well one thing that's interesting is that uh, throughout, so I watched this movie with the commentary, and throughout, Ridley Scott is always like, I just, I have to say this, like, uh, uh, Commodus is a sympathetic figure. There, there is a tragedy, like, you know, yeah. his, he, just, he wants the love of his father. Like, for some reason, like, Ridley Scott was always like, he's I think not like... A, total... I, I think he's right. I think it's a yeah. great director move to, like, push, like, we're not going to make him like this. And I think Joaquin was on the same page, and I guess 
So Joaquin, prior to this time, had done like a lot of movies like To Die For with Gus Van Zandt, and he'd done a lot of like um, moodier indie type movies, gotcha. dramas, that kind of thing. And when he got Play to Pigeons, set, I think, yeah, yeah, he when he got to set, he um, was overwhelmed and freaked out by mm. the size and scope of Gladiator, and almost immediately tried to quit. Oh my goodness. And, Tried to get out. He was like, "I got to get out of this." Like right, I'm oh, no. like Joe about oh, no. rest of development. I've made a huge mistake. <laughs> so, but what Ridley Scott in calming him down, he was like, "Oh, Joaquin is so full of anxiety, and he's so high strung. This is actually perfect, and we just need to find a way to harness it because this is the guy that he's mm. playing, basically." And Ridley, like. Talk about him not being an actor's director. Um, very, very understanding there. Yeah, he got uh, it. Also, and uh, apparently Jude Law auditioned for Commodus. He would have done he, it. Could have done yeah. it. Yeah, not he would have crushed it. Yeah. Yep, yep, I like that. With the, yep. Yeah. yep, you can see it. I guess that, um, so Richard Harris, the great Richard Harris, plays the role of Emperor Marcus Aurelius, philosopher emperor. Um brings Gravita, of course, to the role. Um, interestingly enough, Russell Crowe lobbied for Christopher Plummer to play Marcus Aurelius after their experiences on The Insider together. Uh-huh. He wanted to bring him on board, too. Um, Dijman Hanshu plays Juba, who is Maximus's closest ally and best pal oh, yeah. um, in the gladiator circle. He rules. He's great. What a great presence. And solid he dude. brings levity to a movie that has very little of it mm-hmm. as does ralph moeller as hagen the gigantic german <sighs> warrior who at first you think is like a villainous character but becomes a best pal to the gang and maximus wins everyone over by being awesome over time this guy's cool turns out i like this perfect man Tommy Flanagan plays Cicero, Max's Mrs. Loyal Servant. Tommy Flanagan, you know him. If you yeah. see him, he's got these. Apparently, lot got those scars. He got stabbed in a fight after DJing some club in like the early nineties. <laughs> wow, that's yeah. Interesting. He's a, a great, obviously, great face. Interesting guy. Um, Derek Jacoby plays Senator Gracchus. He's from the film, the miniseries I Claudius, so he's got a kind of a background in the sword and sandal world. Not his first um, Roman rodeo. Not his first Roman rodeo. David Hemmings from uh, the Antonioni's. Um, I, it's so funny. I love both of these movies. Blow up. I confuse blow up and blow out nonstop. I uh, mix them I up. It, I, I don't know. It doesn't. It, you know it what happens. we're talking. One is the swinging London art film from Antonioni. One is the one with John Travolta. <laughs> For Ryan Palmer's film, you know, and love them both. You know which one we're talking about. Come on, folks! Come on, come on! Folks, come on. Get so in deep, here. David Hemmings is in Deep Red. Dario Argento's masterpiece as well. bunch of bunch of good stuff. Um, and then you know, uh, big, massive, next level shout out to my other favorite performance in the movie that I had forgotten that I love so much. Oliver Reed as Proximo, the nice. head, uh, the. Uh, the uh, gruff gladiator turned slave trader. <laughs> he just wants his giraffes to fuck. Who 
<laughs> Oliver Reed is an actor who is like on Jen and I's shortlist of if he's in it or watch him. Because he brings the heat, brings weirdness, brings a uh, odd energy or lightning energy to every single movie. He, he was a, he was apparently the only uh, actor that Russell Crowe didn't immediately get on with. Yes, he's not his kind, not his not his mate. (laughs) (laughs) They were not blokes, apparently. It was like, yeah, it was kind of hard to hang out with this guy. I get, and I guess, um, oh no, they were like, so Richard Harris and Russell Crowe became the best of pals. Uh, Oliver Reed is famous for being one of cinema's not only greatest actors, but also cinema's greatest drunks. He drank <laughs> barrels upon barrels of booze nonstop. He didn't he was excessive he was excessively drinking the entire way through this shoot. And of course, you know, one of the big another tumultuous aspect of this shoot is the fact that one night in Malta, Oliver Reed was out with the guys. Oh no! no. <laughs> he ate pints and multiple stories and shots in on May second, nineteen ninety nine. Oliver Reed dropped dead in that bar before shooting was complete on this movie. Oh my god! <laughs> and as many would say, uh, even really Scott said, it's probably a fitting way to go for for this particular actor. <laughs> yeah, I mean like if that's the lifestyle he lived, it was and he was he... of that British era, same era as Richard Harris, same era as Peter O'Toole, Richard Burton. All mm-hmm. of these like Albert Finney. Yeah, like, famous lushes. Famously amazing actors who also famously like three sheets at all times. And you know, to varying degrees it destroyed them all physically mm-hmm. <laughs> if not career was uh yeah and so but it this didn't happen before um one night they were i guess um one night they were out and about while shooting and they got along and i had also mentioned that uh, crow was uncomfortable with all of its drinking it was mm-hmm. like it's like that old metallica story about when they fired dave mustaine they were like, we were all drunks. He just wasn't our kind of drunk. Is kind of the vibe I get from all of yeah. this. Like, <laughs> he went to another level. Yeah, there was a different place that just didn't make... It wasn't cool. So I guess that Joaquin Phoenix, though, was so nervous and full of anxiety, like, in the early days on set, that um, Russell Crowe and Richard Harris decided the only way to make Joaquin comfortable with everybody... Mm-hmm. Was to get Joaquin blasted as drunk. Ooh. Which, of course, Joaquin went to rehab, you know, eight years later for drinking. So, oh, God no. was, yeah, <laughs> so, like, yeah, that's not good. <laughs> oh, well, but they did. And um, cinema. <laughs> cinema, you know, this is the very old school. Even this is only 22 years ago, but this is very old school thought process on. <laughs> Put some hair on Joaquin Phoenix's chest. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> We're going to solve your anxiety via alcoholism yes so the shoot was tumultuous they worked they were all over the place with um the script rewriting on the spot russell crowe complaining 
everyone looking to get theirs. Oliver Reed dies. They're not done shooting it. Proximo actually did not die in the original script up until that point, but they were mm. out of time. Proximo's death scene, which they had not shot yet, is clearly a stand-in combined with CG, combined with earlier dialogue that they had built out. Ridley said it was kind of creepy, but it was necessary to finish telling the story. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and they, but they did it. And I remember even at the time when I watched this in the theater, like I knew Oliver had died and I was like, oh, how are they going to like pull this off? It's like that same thing as like when you watch The Crow, you're wondering how they finished The Crow after Brandon Lee passed. Right, away. right, right, right. So it was, um, yeah, tumultuous. A few more notes on Russell Crowe's <laughs> <laughs> thoughts on the script he questioned every aspect of the evolving script strode off of set when he did not get the, did not get answers and apparently told William Nicholson who was the on set screenwriter his lines are garbage but I'm the greatest actor in the world and I can make even garbage sound good I just did the finger cut. Yeah, <laughs> you said that. Great shots fired. Yeah. Boom. <laughs> boom. Boom. According oh to God. a DreamWorks executive, Crow tried to rewrite the entire script on the tr- on the spot. Oh all my God. The time. Crow simply said, "I read the script and it was substantially underdone. Even the characters didn't ex- even the characters didn't exist on the page." I said about a long process. That's probably the first time I've ever been in a situation where the script wasn't a complete done deal. We actually started shooting with about thirty-two pages and went through them in the first couple of weeks. Um, Crow added, "Possibly a lot of the stuff I have to deal with now in terms of my quote." volatility has to do with that experience <laughs> <laughs> it is like funny because like in the in the, when i watch the special features on the writing of this in the politest terms they do describe like yeah we we brought william nicholson on board and he kind of told us that what we had was crap and we were like halfway through shooting all of our action scenes and like even like through the the, the lens of a a puff pr documentary it this seems. comes off as a hairy production troubles are saving through Yes. Crow continued, here was a situation where he got to Morocco with a crew of 200 and a cast of 100 or whatever, and I didn't have anything to learn. I actually didn't know what the scenes were going to be. We think we had, I think, one American writer working on it, one English writer working on it, and of course a group of producers who were also adding their ideas, and then Ridley himself, and then on occasion where Ridley would say, look, this is the structure for it. What are we going to say in that? So then I'd be doing my own stuff as well. That's how things like Strength and Honor came up. <laughs> this is this is how lines like "At My Signal, Unleash Hell" came up. It just flowed well. <laughs> I, actually, I think he's like a pain in the ass, but I actually think he probably, among anyone there other than maybe Ridley Scott, had the best idea of what this movie should have been. Yeah, and he had trouble like explaining that with based on his personality. Mm-hmm. I guess he wrote the entire farmer monologue. Jesus. Too, really? Basically because it was feelings of his own homesickness for Russell Crowe's own farm. It's like you have like it's so crazy that you have like the guy who wrote Amistad, the guy who wrote The Aviator, and the guy who wrote like William Nicholson has written a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Uh 
Yeah. I just can't think of. I think he wrote Breathe. I, he's written a lot of stuff, like more important things than Breathe and Gladiator. More but, important uh, things than Breathe. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> I don't uh, know. You're he wrote, um, wrote Nell, uh, but uh, Shadowlands, <laughs> Shadowlands. Uh, Elizabeth the Golden Age. He wrote Unbroken, was one of the writers on Unbroken. He wrote 13 Lives recently. Wow. See, that's so, a good movie. So, like, it's like, it's crazy that, like, you have all this going on. And then, like, producers adding, like, they're, you know, they're yeah. 30 cents, and they still, like, you can't, they can't just, they can't find it. They they can't, can't put it, cohere everything together. It's, yeah, it's scary. But somehow, Ridley Scott is another pro. And they mm-hmm. made, they survived production, and they went into post-production. Post-production involved quite a bit more cgi and blue screens than had ever really been used before i actually think for the most part for a movie from 2000 it's integrated pretty well because it isn't over the top they mm-hmm. i guess for instance um they were still doing things like in the tiger fight it was an animatronic tiger the one that yes. tackles him um, they, uh... and then they but the rest were kind of real tigers who were sitting around <laughs> yeah they uh, they originally wanted a, a rhino fight oh uh, which is crazy badass Let's but see. apparently it was just like uh, they were looking at like videos of like trained rhinos and apparently for the speed of a rhino uh, a trained rhino it's either you you have it it's either going to go at you pretty slowly and tamely mm-hmm. or you get it so mad that it hits you know it yeah. chases after you're you dead. but then it, you're done yeah you're dead you're rhino meat and yeah. so uh, you're stew for that rhino but then That's... um dealing with incredibly wild animals yeah and, and ridley was like yeah it would have cost us three million to make an animatronic rhino head it would have been fucking good like he was yeah. just like yeah this whole like like i idea, love, but I love like, his positivity man like everything is gonna be awesome everything's gonna work out everything's good like you know it was kind of nice he's he not watched. one of these he's not one of these directors the other kind of directors he's just like what like oh it's the worst i'm dead i suck i'm an idiot stupid yeah. stupid there's no um like like false sense of what's the what what's the the false sense of belonging what's the there's a term for it that... it's like that that insecurity or it's like how like orson wells described woody allen maybe that like uh, yes yeah yeah woody, like, like the... tore woody allen apart <laughs> yeah when he just totally ruined yeah. his entire shtick yeah. into oblivion sent him yeah. to hell like... orson was like did that between uh, ice cream shakes he was like boom yeah. boom <laughs> <laughs> Got to tip, tip to the yeah the original original large king. Yeah, <laughs> he's not he's not surviving that tape of Hearts Hill. He's, no, our he's big, with, our, our big, king big boy Orson Welles. Give the hat to you. Yes. Somehow they made it to post. They had to deal with all the CGI. They had to replace Oliver Reed in multiple sequences. Oh man, um, which is but it's so amazing because I was just so impressed with Oliver Reed. His performance in the film, he's like really, he was, he's so good in the movie. He's just what an actor he was. Um, so and then brought in. Oh, it should be noted. Um, some of the crew on the picture. Cinematography was by John Matheson, who was discovered through music videos that Ridley Scott RSA was producing. Oh, that's really cool. Um. The official screenwriting credits went to Dave, David Franzoni, John Logan, and William Nicholson. The editor on the film was Pietro Scalia, who, of course, has been a part of Ridley's world 
mm-hmm. for quite a while now, and he did um, made his debut with Ridley though on Chia Chain, and mm-hmm. naturally <laughs> we get we get a combination of a lo- of a couple of uh, Academy Academy heroes. Lisa Gerard does the vocals on the score, and we may remember her uh, soaring vocals from the Insider soundtrack. Man. You are that is so crazy. I didn't uh I didn't put two in because I was like, this is familiar and it's it's like Enya, but it's not like Enya. Where have I mm-hmm. heard this? It's like, yeah, it's insider. insider. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and basically, yeah, it seems like a lot was ported over uh from the insider to Gladiator, like <laughs> from the lead on down. Um yes. and I think it's because Michael Mann and Ridley Scott, you know, are I feel cut from a very similar cloth yes they're uh they're compatriots they're you know fellow workmen like uh directors that respect uh you know a certain Pro- level a of macho them. process if you will. yeah exactly they're they're definitely yeah they like they like their their, their process processes absolutely and then of course behind the, behind the keys once again on zimmer has returned oh, yeah. to the show Every movie, almost it seems, at this point. Um, I noticed. So apparently, there's a few classical pieces that are. Um, he's pretty close to. Oh. The score on here to the point of some classical music heads calling him out. Um, and then um, I heard the rock. I a little bit. Yeah. You know, it's funny, like watching it with the commentary, it does mute the sound a little bit, which is like a bummer. Mm-hmm. I didn't get as much. So like I feel like the only thing that really stuck out to me in this viewing was the Lisa Gerard, like oh, like that stuff. Yeah. But yeah, uh but yeah, there's there like were... like the pounding like soldiers marching kind of scenes is like dun 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 dun. <laughs> yeah. It's like am I watching Crimson Tide here? Is yeah. Ackman gonna come out of snow? Yeah, this is this is what happens when you record Every single score in the 1990s, yeah, <laughs> for every movie is... that came, for every movie that came out, he was <laughs> just like he was. He's, I mean, I guess I don't think he's the the guy. He might still be the guy. I guess he is still the still, guy. I think he is kind of the guy still. Yeah, like, it's like you got like Alexandra Desplat. I can't even pronounce his name. He does life. like the more like gentle European, if you will, feeling movies. But Hans yeah. is still like, if you're gonna do Hans, does like the blockbuster that's going to be nominated for best picture. That's yes. kind of like he's, I mean, he's doing Dune 2 right now. Exactly. That's his next, that's his next project. And Dune 2, boy, we want to do a futures bet here. Mm-hmm. I bet, I bet Denny Villeneuve wins best director for Dune 2. Oh, in a very hmm. comparable situation to Peter Jackson winning best director for the third Lord of the Rings film, the overall accomplishment Except, does anyone actually like Dune? That's a bigger question. I like, you know, I do like Dune. And here's the thing: something in your favor. They have Elvis as the 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 as Baron Harkonnen's son, mm-hmm. the yeah. Austin Butler, and that he's big. Well, I speaking, think they... yeah, he actually came to mind as well. Think about this episode. It's like watching a star, kind of like take that next because he's the next guy. Oh. Yes, I think. For sure, and and he has like texture too, which I appreciate. I he's not he's like gonna, a. I think he's gonna pass the the skinny boys, the the teenagers, and that kind of thing, because he looks like an adult. Too. Yeah, he's a man. 
man. Nice. He's a grown yeah. man. He's a grown ass man. <laughs> yes, yeah, I think it's so. Timotei. Sorry, buddy. <laughs> sorry, bud. Sorry, Lucas Hedges. Yeah. <laughs> I'm still a pasta, bro. Yeah, we got Elvis is in the building. So, <laughs> huh? And uh, interestingly enough, I guess in the edit suite, this was kind of cool. For the first time ever, Ridley Scott decided that he was going to put the edits, the video edit suite, in the same building Hans Zimmer was creating the score. Oh, that's cool. So they'd be like able to collaborate and go back and forth between each other and kind of give each other like feel it out together as the thing was built up. And mm-hmm. apparently Hans Zimmer was that got told the editor he was the one, you know, that uh they, they should open with Maximus with his fingers in the grain going Ooh. the Terrence Malicky kind of shot in the which it turned out to be the Bardo. <laughs> but <laughs> or Elysium in this movie. So mm-hmm. But it was all coming together, and they all, like, as usual. Oh, it should be noted, too, that it ended up because in the future, Ridley Scott collaborated with Russell Crowe a lot more, that they have this burgeoning friendship and respect to hard-headed assholes. <laughs> and I read about this, and they're like, he, he, Russell Crowe ended up with the relationship with Ridley Scott that Harrison Ford wanted in Blade Runner. A collaborative back and forth. My input matters. Your input matters. Let's do it together and kind of come up with a shared collaboration, artistic collaboration. Interesting. And Russell Crowe may have been the first actor to truly break through. Through, you know, blood and bullshit. Yeah, through his own, like, (laughs) his heightened sense of self. I mean, maybe sometimes you need a little bit of that. And it, and they seem, yeah, they seem jovial together. They like, yeah, I think, and I think they are to this day, despite the fact I believe on every one of their collaborations afterwards. After this, they were still like screaming at each other. (laughs) Like, (laughs) Like, you call this a good year? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, (laughs) how can you do it during wine country? So, (laughs) cut to um, the film is dated for mm. a May of 2000. All right. Date. May of the year 2000. As we should mention, the story is Russell Crowe plays the role of General Maximus, who is the film opens with a rousing, intense, very bloody and violent battle sequence reminiscent of saving Private Ryan and Braveheart, defeats the final Germanic stronghold, Roman Empire has been solidified and perhaps maybe just maybe we'll give peace a chance just once this one time just one time imagine yeah. if you could imagine it um, <laughs> Emperor Marcus Aurelius shows up on the scene he has a chat with Maximus Maximus just wants to go home and be a damn farmer and be with just his wife my, and his son my... My figs, my pears. Yeah, he tells him <laughs> this much. There's also though drama within the Republic. The mm. Senate and the Emperor are kind of in an uneasy alliance, and it could go either way. Who's going to be mm. more powerful? Who's may? Who's calling the shots? Not Count in the Romano. Meanwhile, and Marcus Aurelius as a yeah, I guess it is similar time period. The Phantom Damn Menace. Um, <laughs> The Phantom Menace might be Commodus, for all we know. Um, <laughs> meanwhile, Marcus really has, has a failed son, Commodus, and, yes. a, be- and a beautiful daughter in <laughs> Lucilla. Lucia? Lucilla? Lucilla. Lucilla. Um, Commodus is assume- assumes that he will be 
taking over the throne as Emperor Marcus Aurelius has been ill. Richard Harris plays like he's going to die every single step he's going to take. Yeah, <laughs> he's like so close to the door of death. But um, Marcus Aurelius, as the philosopher emperor, believes that in order to save Roman from, Rome from corruption, the Republic and the Senate and so forth must be restored. Mm-hmm. So his plan is to have Maximus succeed him in order to give up the throne, essentially, and turn it into a republic. Very noble. Yeah. No no dictators in the house. We actually do have one dictator in the house by the name of Commodus. He's not thrilled with this whatsoever, and he murders mm. his own father. Death by hug. Death by hug, indeed. Proclaims himself the new emperor. Mac, he asks Maximus for loyalty. Maximus smells. <laughs> Commodus' this shit stinks to high heaven to Maximus. Yeah, he he knows this guy sucks. Well, he's he, not like he's a fail son. And he's a fail like, son. He's a lame yeah. and Maximus proves everything. He's a warrior. He rules. Yeah. Maximus fucks. Let's put it that way. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, and like, I think like the, the weird backstory, like Ridley or not Ridley, um, uh, Russell Crowe was like, he gave himself a backstory for the character where like he was like, joined the army at like eight and like joined like a special group of young kids that were like trained from like an early age to be like warriors and like basically he was like the son that uh aurelius never had marcus aurelius Mm. never had and he does not like fighting but marcus kept him on because he's a good he's good at his job and he's a good boy he's a good son he's a good boy yeah he's a good boy yeah um so uh but Commodus has Maximus arrested by the Praetorian Guard. Cool name. Mm. Uh, real real thing, but cool name nonetheless. Yeah, cool it's, thing, got a, yeah. it's, got a, it's got a scary vibe to it. Very Star yes. Wars-y. Um, it is like, yeah, it's so funny. And he's, that, like... and he's told that not only he's going to die, but his family's going to die too. Mm-hmm. Uh, Maximus, though, being awesome, takes out the Praetorian Guard. He Oh, he does that great, that frost the blade sometimes sticks line in the cold. It's so badass. It's so he, like, good fucking like spears the uh spears the dude on the horse with the flying sword it's great it's whole sequence rules yeah it's it's badass he's hurt though stabbed in the process but not not enough to stop him from riding what seems like multiple countries <laughs> yeah it's like <laughs> it's, uh, it's almost as if he was going from deepest germany to the <laughs> to, to the iberian peninsula yeah Perhaps it, it's Europe, man. It's good they got the light rail. Yeah, <laughs> anyway, exactly. you know. <laughs> it's horsemen on the light rail. <laughs> yeah. uh, he gets home though to find pure devastation. We got a cut to it earlier too. His son gets blasted oh, by these man. horses. It's quite a stunt. Whatever they whatever they did there, yeah, must have been a dummy. It was great. It looks good. Not, <laughs> not since uh, not until uh, not until um, uh, the John C. Riley. Uh, walk the line parody. Walk hard. Would a, a child be so unceremoniously owned Which and destroyed? We last night. Oh my god! Yeah, it was so funny again. Anyway, it's a perfect movie. It's a ten out of ten. So funny, man. So, uh, his wife and son are burned and crucified. He's just devastated, but he mm-hmm. passes out due to his wounds. He is taken into slavery and sold to gladiator trainer Proximo. Oof. He begins to compete in local tournaments. He's totally awesome. 
kicks ass. Cool dude. And alert. Everyone, a cool dude alert is on high. The fans love him. Proximo <laughs> is like Vince McMahon. He gives him some good advice. He's like, gotta win the crowd. I that's I, I would love to do a Oliver Reed impersonation. It's a dream. You guys get the Bill Haters that he does is one of the funniest that around. He does it on the uh it's on the Criterion channel, him talking about the brood. He's like, Psychoplastics. It's a way of the future. <laughs> I'll work on it. I'll get yes. it someday. I'll get it someday. You'll get there. Um, I believe in you. Commodus organizes games to return to the official Colosseum in Rome. Donning a masked helmet, Maximus is brought to the Colosseum where they reenact the Battle of Carthage. It's fucking awesome. They're blowing up riders that gal gets cut in half man it's it's great it's tremendous commodus is like man that guy is awesome i'd like to meet this guy what you know and he's just trying to be like cool and they cut all of these great cuts to joaquin like sticking out his tongue and like reacting to the fight it's great (laughs) he's just like a ham but he's a well he's he's, totally hamming it up it's great he's a ham it's the best kind of ham yeah. It's like, yeah. Goes down to the field. He's like, man, you're awesome. And my like nephew, Lucius, whose mom, oh, we should note too, Commodus really, really wants to have sex with his sister, which ad- adds to his level of creepiness yeah. like tenfold. Yeah. Um, he's yeah. really, really into his sister. Yeah, that's a that's a fail son move. That's an it's a fail son. Fail son one oh one. Don't fail be into your own family. Yeah. Um, and he's like, <laughs> Man, I want to meet you. And he's like, kinda like rude to him. He's like, What are you doing, man? I'm the emperor. And then Maximus turns around, is like, gives him this speech, and he ends it with, "And I will have vengeance in this life or the next." And he pops the helmet, like, "Oh my God, he's alive!" Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Everyone's and the crowd is cheering for him. They all hate Commodus. Commodus total heel. Oh yeah, <laughs> everyone wants he suck. That's the great part of this movie is everyone is kind of in on Commodus sucking. Everyone's in on Commodus, and everyone is way in on Maximus being totally the coolest dude. Yeah, around. he rules. His energy is so good. Everyone wants him to su- succeed. So the next fight, he's like, there he's like, oh, yeah, I'll give him a fair fight, whatever. And Commodus is like, it's already done. It's over. Maximus has to fight legendary undefeated gladiator Tigress of Gaul. And we're mm. like, oh, this guy seems a little bit out of shape. Maximus should be able to take care of this guy. He's big, but he seems like doesn't seem as lean as Maximus is. Yeah, he's like on the end of the game. Yeah, at the end of his yeah. run, you know, he's ready for retirement. He should a few, a few, few too many breads uh, yeah. when they're throwing oh, out the breads. What a bread! What a bread! <laughs> but then they're like, okay, it's a fight, fight, whatever. The fucking floors of the Coliseum open up, and tigers come out, and they're circling the arena. And they're if these guys get pushed too far, they're gonna get mauled by a tiger. Is it as good as it sounds? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. It's awesome. It yes. And Maximus ends up winning that one, but doesn't he is um Commodus does the thumbs up thing, which is great. I love the whole like live or die thumbs up thing. It looks it's so good. And he he says to kill he wants Maximus to kill Tigris. Maximus mm. drops the axe. He's like, hell no. And then the crowd starts chanting Maximus the Merciful. And Commodus is like, damn man, man, what can I do? This guy no. remains awesome and I remain a loser. Oh, man. <laughs> and it's... so then there's some political intrigue. They're trying to get the senators involved. Commodus' sister, Lucia, gets involved. They're going to free Maximus to lead the way. Mm-hmm. Everyone's hip to it. 
some of the senators get killed. Cicero, Maximus's friend, gets killed. The big man dies in the riots, Ooh. which is a bummer. Hate All to right, see Hague. Apparently, that uh, that uh, that actor wanted him to live, and it was like, you know, I could, uh, I'd be able to do stuff later on. I'd be very helpful to Maximus. Everyone, <laughs> yeah, like, ever, everyone seemed to have an idea on this set. And Ridley, <laughs> a general himself. Saw yeah. through, through the crap. <laughs> like, exactly. So he was able to, yes. They're like, what are we going to do about this Maximus guy? He's all sorts of trouble. So in effort to win back public approval, Commodus challenges Maximus to a duel in the Colosseum. Satisfying. May not be historically accurate. Satisfying. This is what we want to see. We yes. want to see these guys go at it. Yeah, if you want history, read a fucking book, dude. Yeah, babe. If you want to watch a cool movie in the in May of two thousand, yeah, like, let's watch this. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I, I... <laughs> Beforehand, oh my god, this communist guy. Hmm. What a stinker! Ed. Absolute stinker. He hmm. stabs Maximus before they come up there. Mortal badly, a bad, a bad stab. Jerk, jerk of the week. Jerk of the week. So they go into the ring. Maximus is clearly feeling it. They start going at it um maximus like disarms commodus and everyone is just like had it with commodus the praetorian guard all the guys are just like man you're like stop being such a you're coward because he's like demanding them just take out maximus or hand him a sword and like it's like no you did this man you gotta win this fight this is rome baby the guy who like uh, leads the praetorian guard or whatever or the jet the is like the dude that was uh maximus's friend strength and honor buddy at one time yeah they had that great moment in the initial germania fight where they almost kill each other and they're like "Eh, sorry i almost got you buddy (laughs) i know we're awesome we're great fighters (laughs) we're good friends nothing will ever go between us Except for <laughs> politics. Oh, boy. Oy, talk, about, yeah. like, talk about now. And mm-hmm. so, Commodus produces a hidden knife. It tries to overpower Maximus. Maximus, like, flips it around, jabs Joaquin right in the goddamn throat. He's done. It's over. It's really good. Yeah. It's great. It's satisfying as all hell. It's a bummer, though, because Ridley does give you, make you feel sympathy, despite all of his villainy for Commodus. And he feels like a tragic figure who just didn't something i don't know just didn't go yeah. well for him you know yeah it's like if like his uh you know if his father you know loved him in a different way yeah there's like yeah there's like yeah it's there definitely is some sympathy there to be had for him yeah and they did they do a great job and joaquin is such a good actor that yeah. he pulls it all off uh unfortunately though maximus is mortally wounded by that mm-hmm. stab wound from earlier he drops down but beforehand, he asked for political reforms and for the gladiators to be freed and Senator Gracchus to be reinstated and for all to be well in Rome. Then mm. he has a vision of his wife and son and drops dead. In the original script, did not die. They were trying to pull that off all the way through not to have him die. We'll get to Maximus's future at the end of this episode because we do need a little footnote on, yeah. on some of the thoughts on what what was to follow for Maximus. Oh yes, yes, and we've been and waiting a, and for a, this. And a, the true dream of Rome, really, is <laughs> is what is to come here. <laughs> he's allied as a true soldier of Rome, and he's carried out. Commodus left to rot in the center mm-hmm. of the ring. And um, later on, Juba visits the Colosseum pays tribute to Maximus and gets his really a nice moment where he's like, I'll see you soon, my friend. 
but not yet. And he gives this little sly grin. He's got yeah. more adventures to come. Yeah, you're gonna adventures do a, in Juba. You, yeah, well, you're going to do a sequel. There you go. Him traveling to Africa and having great like adventures and all sorts of stuff. Why not? Yeah, let him. Yeah, make let him go to Dominia. We want to see this. It's deathly satisfying on all fronts. It doesn't really challenge you in the idea department. It doesn't have to. It's entertaining as hell. So, Gladiator was released on North America on May 5th, 2000. On its opening mm-hmm. weekend, it opened at number one, earning $34.8 million. Wow. A massive opening. And um, apparently just as popular with the ladies as it was with the men because all the <laughs> The sex appeal of Russell Crowe was bringing him in. <laughs> He's a uh, large it, slab of meat. Held number one the next weekend with 24.6 million, holding off the soft 11.5 million debut of one Battlefield Earth that second Ooh. weekend. No, they, it, they, they fought off the Cyclos, the dreaded Cyclos. It was in theaters in the United States, and this is the difference between now and then. Until October of 2000. It came out in May, and it was still cooking. Man, yeah, just, that's the word amount. It ended up being the second highest grossing film in the world. The year of its release, only behind the aforementioned Tom Cruise Mission Impossible Two. That'll do uh, it. With a final score of four hundred and sixty point five million dollars. At the box office on a one on a one hundred and three million dollar budget, massive financial success. Ridley is back in the game. Yes. Russell Crowe is a superstar. Joaquin Phoenix is a up and coming one to watch star. Richard Harris, Oliver Reed, all the British guys. If Oliver Reed had died, he'd probably be in Harry Potter. Yeah, like, they'd make a new Dumbledore for that fucker. They'd do yeah. a second one. There'd be two Dumbledores. It, everyone involved. It's a win. It is a big W for everyone involved. In the wake of Gladiator's success, Dino De Laurentiis, producer extraordinaire, immediately hires Ridley Scott to direct the long-awaited Silence of the Lambs sequel, Hannibal, coming soon to the show. Ooh. Russell Crowe is established as an A-lister. He follows it up in succession with Beautiful Mind and Master and Commander of the Far Side of the World, further solidifying his stardom. Joaquin Phoenix is soon in M. Night Shyamalan's The Village and signs very shortly thereafter. Richard Harris is cast as Dumbledore. (laughs) Rightly thereafter. And of course, Joaquin Phoenix has gone on to be perhaps the most if not other than Leonardo DiCaprio, the most celebrated actor of his generation. Yeah, he's like, it's like him and Bale are like tied for number two. Yes, winning, of course, the Academy Award for Best Actor for Joker. Joker. Joker in 2019. Now, also, it was a critically acclaimed smash hit. This one, you know, everyone was like, this is a damn good time. Audiences gave it an A on an A plus to F scale for the cinema score. It was, let's see here. Let's see. Um, 
Actually, I went for Roger Ebert. He said he thought the look was muddle, muddy, fuzzy, and indistinct, and he gave it two stars. <laughs> he tried in the writing, saying he plays depression as a substitute for personality. <laughs> he believes that if characters are bitter and morose enough, we won't notice how dull they are. Oh, Raj. <laughs> Raj. Clearly, he didn't see that scene where Hagen pretended the stew was poisoned. He yeah, needs the to go one back. funny moment. <laughs> yeah, one everyone was like, the, direct, the directing was strong. But it was just, um, you know, I mean, it is a, let's say, you know, it's, it's a, it's a serious movie. Yes. Well, and it's like, I think it, the thing too, is it's like one of those type of movies where like, you know, some of the people talk big about this, trying to like make this like a modern film and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But I feel like in some ways it is like a hearkening back to like a more classic, like, you know, like I think it there's a classical style to it, but I also think it has like this nineteen seventies um like almost like rolling thunder taxi driver kind of vibe to it too. You, you know what? That is in that is interesting. I feel like yeah, there are some like stares that like Russell Crowe gives to Commodus where his eyes are like sunken and he does look like a seventies like he does look like um someone who has uh um he lo he looks like Travis Bickle a hair like yeah. a little bit someone yeah. who has not been sleeping well and who's just totally fueled by rage. <laughs> so um on Rotten Tomatoes it has a seventy nine percent critical approval rating. Critical consensus reads while not everyone will be entertained by Gladiator's glum revenge story. What is it just critics? Everyone else seemed to like it just fine. Uh, yeah, why is yeah? Russell Crowe thunderously wins the crowd with a star-making turn that provides Ridley Scott's opulent resurrection of Rome a bruised heart. Oh, very sweet. Yeah. Why? Yeah. Why is Glum bad? Everyone's like, do you want him to like do a little song? Like, what? The it's like fuck it's like the same like the like oh they're not likable. What a bunch of bullshit. Was it good? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Get out of here. Get out of here with that. Um, yes. The film was nominated for a lot of Academy Awards. I'm going to run oh. them down. Best visual effects, best sound, best original score, best film editing, best costume design, best cinematography, best art direction, best original screenplay, the shot, the shot on demand screenplay, best supporting actor, Joaquin <laughs> Phoenix, best actor, Russell Crowe, best director, Ridley Scott, best picture. It won five academy awards it won best wow. visual effects it won best sound it won best costume design it won best actor for russell crowe and it won best picture at the academy awards it did well <laughs> uh notably though i would say um the big one that sticks out is of course best director missing yeah. on that and we mentioned it on an earlier episode the real reason and he had um been nominated all the way through but the real reason competition was deeply fierce that year um the front runner going into the night if i remember correctly they thought it was going to be either ridley or ang lee for crouching tiger hidden dragon oh yeah which would not have been a terrible decision mm -hmm. but the one they thought was going to split the vote and ended up didn't was the extraordinary achievement of steven soderbergh being nominated for both traffic and Aaron Brockovich for best director that year. Crazy. <laughs> for two separate nominations and two separate films. And Soderbergh won for Traffic, a much deserved workhorse, get the job done, and two very dramatically different and interesting films.
Yeah. It may not have had the scale or scope. Although traffic arguably did of um Gladiator and um Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. But the proof is in the pudding. Everybody saw it straight up. Well done. Well done. And really Scott though is able to cry himself to sleep by being now one of the top five dudes once again. And <laughs> you know, moving on to Hannibal, which we'll talk about soon. Oh, but no. <laughs> also I think moving on to a string really where he did know himself. Yeah. The, the days of someone to watch over me for the most part are over. For really Scott. Yeah. He knows he, is... he knows what he does. He is comfortable in his own shoes, even if the film is not like, you know, a smashing success. Because I have a feeling, you know, Hannibal, I haven't watched the movie in a million years. I haven't seen it since it came out. Yeah, exactly. So, like, um, it'll be interesting to see how that holds up. But, uh, you know, I think, like, mm-hmm. um, yeah, at the very least, he is at this point, like, just confident in whatever choices he makes. I agree. I agree. And um, so I saw this movie the opening weekend. Ooh. at the Northgate Theater in Seattle, Washington, with all of my friends. Um, the funniest, I think I've mentioned something about this on the show before, but I will reiterate it, that um, on May of 2000, in May of 2000, that same exact weekend, was my senior prom. And <laughs> I was seeing someone for, eh, give or take about a year at that point, so we were entrenched. We were going to prom! What do you think we're doing? Of course we're going to prom. We had pictures. We had dinner. We had the dance itself. We had the afterwards. Oh, yeah. Well, my buddies and I could talk about how badly we wanted to fucking see Gladiator. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Richard Harris is in this? I know. Oh, my it's fucking like, God. And <laughs> it's I, English Bob and Unforgiven. As, as we were kind of heading toward that weekend, I was like looking at the schedule. It's like, okay, we're Sign it for photos right now. We got dinner right now. It's like, well, Gladiator is like two and a half hours long. There's previews. It's at this theater. Oh, man. Can can I wear my tux literally to the theater? Like, I had all of these like, schemes in mind that I was trying to figure out. How am I going to squeeze Gladiator in? This very, very busy senior, high school yeah. senior. <laughs> high school senior <laughs> dinner. In your life. <laughs> and my girlfriend was like not having it at all. She was like, come on, man. And she's right. In retrospect, she's right. I'm 40. I know that. She was right. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, but also, you know, what are you going to remember more? When, a, you were, when, when you were a dipshit 17-year-old, different yeah. story. Different story. Yes! You want to see the exploits of Derek Jacoby? Yeah, it's like, be. what is going to happen in this movie? It looks fucking amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so, we get to prom. I have not seen it. It's not Ooh. happening. Not happening that day. I have to accept it. Then this guy, who I went to high school with, a friend of mine, who works at the works at one of the Cineplexes. Oh. They get to do at the Cineplexes. They get to see the movie Thursday night before there were Thursday previews. Ooh. This is back. This is back in the day when a movie came out on a Friday. If it said it came out on a Friday, it came out on a Friday. Yeah, Patrick like... and I saw Avatar on a Thursday somehow, but back in the <laughs> yeah. day, movies came out on Fridays. So he had seen it. He's the only guy I knew who'd seen it. He knew how badly I want to see the damn movie. So we're staying in the lobby. We're all in our tuxes. We're entering the prom. You know, the time of your life by Dirty Dancing's playing. Um, all this kind of <laughs> stuff. This guy comes up to me. His name was Brian. 
grabs me by the shoulder. He goes, he's like shaking. He's like trying to be ready. He's kind of bigger guy. <laughs> he's like stocky, dude. It's like he fights tigers. He fights tigers. And I was like, no. Oh, I want to see it so bad. <laughs> and he's like, it was so good. It was everything we thought it was going to be. And I was like, yeah, I do it. I do it. <laughs> Yes, and there's like crowd around. So like he's telling us all about it. We're like, oh my god! <laughs> all of course, dudes. Like, like yes, seventeen year old boys. Like how badly we want to see this thing. We're fighting tigers. So like we go out afterwards, and you know, you're having illicit drinks. Yeah, you have to. Hot tub, all this kind of stuff is happening. Cool stuff. But in the back of young Don's mind, what is a real priority? To make it to the fucking matinee of Gladiator tomorrow. <laughs> like... This this is like your fucking Detroit Rock City. Yeah, you know. <laughs> you gotta fucking I gotta make it to this movie. So I drag my hungover ass friends. I don't have a hangover because I didn't even want to partake because I want to be clear, man. Yeah, you want to be sober and just totally lucid when you're witnessing Russell Crowe at his finest. Yes. We get there. <laughs> we take a seat. Theater's relatively empty. My friend Pat's like barely there. He's so green. He just got so 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 sick. Oh no. <laughs> and this the movie starts and we're at the Northgate Theater. And that THX logo that goes deathly silent for like a second after that's over. And my friend Seth just goes, Whoa! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Totally silent theater. I was like, yeah. <laughs> and we proceed to get our asses rocked. The next two and a half hours, and we loved it. Oh man, we adored the movie. It was a great, it was a great time, great start to the summer at the movies. Everyone just dug the hell out of it, and I actually haven't seen it very much since because of that memory. So like, distinctive. Like it was one of the first DVDs I ever bought. I still have the old DVD over here. I never hell upgraded, yeah. but it's a hell of a time. Did you? You must have seen it a little bit later. Oh, yeah. No. So the first time I saw it, uh, I think I don't know if I've recalled the re, 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 uh told this story on this pod, but uh, my parents were in town over the summer and we went to this place um, called I think the restaurant is called AOC or something. Weirdly enough, I forget the that stands for, but I had like a crab omelet mm-hmm. at a uh, at this restaurant. And it turns out I spoke to two different friends and they both got food poisoning that week and one friend got like food poisoning from eggs and one friend got food poisoning from like crabs and apparently like that was like the week where like yeah all the crab meat that went to the rest the nice restaurants was poisoned and the other friend was like yeah all the eggs that went to the they were all like bad eggs and so like (laughs) i had the worst the worst food poisoning i've ever had totally like i I lost 10 pounds i lost over the week that's a good one it was insane. So like I was like I couldn't uh I couldn't like keep down food. I was like hallucinating. And so like I was wa- I watched like Gladiator like on my couch just like dying. And it was it was a surreal um it was a good experience. Like the but movie But you said you liked it. <laughs> I loved it. It was really good. It was it was my anchor while I was in, in like the worst the worst like earlier sickness this, I've ever had. Earlier this year when I watched uh, Robert Pattinson's Batman hung over as hell but starting at like 5 in the morning I was like, yeah, it's the right time this is entertaining, this is the right movie right now 
exactly. <laughs> like the the part where like um like you know they find Russell Crowe uh half dead uh by the slavers find him half dead. I was like, oh, I relate to that. Uh, getting it's just like having a crab omelet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's the same exact deal, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah I will have vengeance this life or the next. <laughs> Say that to the chef at AOC. <laughs> so, uh, as the future, there has always been talk of. Man, it was such a hit. Should mm-hmm. there be a Gladiator 2? Yeah. And a lot's been tossed around. And as a matter of fact, um, by all accounts, it is going to be Ridley Scott's next movie. Ooh. After he completes Napoleon with Joaquin Phoenix. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> it's like life, man. It finds a way. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but it should be noted we have one last little side note about gladiator and that is in the process the last but certainly not least in the process of kind of considering the future of gladiator and russell crowe has been very involved it's a passion project for him Mm -hmm. and you know somehow russell crowe's australian countryman legendary singer songwriter nick cave was commissioned to write a new draft of Gladiator Part 2. Now, how did he get involved? Who knows? Was it a night out drinking like a lot of wine with Russell Crowe? Maybe. Did they I have a it, good year? It could have been something like that. Nick Cave had just done um, the Western film The Proposition. The Australian West entirely one of the... <laughs> what is the... Um, what did that Lex G say about... John Hillcoat and Andrew Dominic, the original kings of no comedy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a, an apt description. <laughs> the dour duo, yeah. Yeah. And so um, Nick Cave was coming off, though. He had done like the Jesse James score. He was kind of dabbling pretty heavily in the world of films. And it kind of still is. I mean, he just did the majestic soundtrack to Blonde that I can't recommend more. My favorite score of the year Um, in a year of good scores, I would say Mm -hmm. scores are back. Scores scores are back. (laughs) Actually though, there is the, though the era of the inception score might be on its way out. Good. Yeah. Good. Not that I like the inception score, but I don't like all the copycats. Exactly. Like it's a one's enough. Like you only, that's all you need. Yeah. That's enough. I mean, you know, we don't need to do this. But so Nick Cave, regardless of his relatively different field, the way he's a master of, was commissioned to write a screenplay for Gladiator Part 2. Mm. What follows <laughs> is a description of Nick Cave's screenplay. Oh. Under the working title... Christ killer. <laughs> oh my goodness. Already, descri- we're starting hot. Gabe described the plot as a deities versus deity versus humanity story. One of those. Yeah, Christ classic involves uh, Maximus in purgatory, who is resurrected as an immortal eternal warrior for the Roman gods. Maximus is then sent to earth and tasked with stopping the momentum of Christianity by killing Jesus Christ and his disciples as their movement was gradually siphoning off the power and vitality of the ancient pagan gods. During his tasked mission, Maximus is tricked into 
murdering his own son. Cursed to live forever, Cave's script included Maximus fighting amongst the Crusades, World War II, and the Vietnam War, with the ending revealing that in the modern-day time period, the character now works at the Pentagon. Oh my god. I'm giving him an ovation. It's Do we want to see this movie? Yes. Hell yeah, we want to see this yes! movie. <laughs> but unfortunately, the suits were a little less impressed with Christ Killer Gladiator Part 2, and it was shelved indefinitely, only to be in our dreams as yep. one of the most amazing and weirdest, perhaps could top Gremlins 2. As the weirdest sequel, yeah, the like a, a, a movie that made. would, yeah, like I guess, like, well, only in our, uh, only when we shut our eyelids will we be able to see a version of Zero Dark Thirty that ends with with Maximus braining Osama bin Laden. Yeah, and not being happy about any no. of it. No, he's like he's, he's miserable this, the he's entire mad. time. He's, yeah, it, it would have been. Really, really special. I, you know, obviously, there we have no hope ever for it. Yeah. But this... regardless, mm-hmm. one could dream. The sequel apparently has been kicked into high gear. They're, um, I guess, on the set of Thor Love and Thunder, Chris Hemsworth, of course, because he likes to kick, stick his fingers into all of these type things and no diss to him i like him but yeah, he's he a good actor to, he seems to want to be part of this um kind of legacy he does kind of like kind of movies I, I think he wants to get out of like the the marvel stuff yeah there's like and, a sense that like yeah like like a lot of these actors at this point like your your robert downey's and chris evans's and of course uh who else was in thor love and thunder that's right russell crowe yeah, he does play. He plays. Does play Zeus is like, who is now, you know, aged into being a character actor. He's prob the peaks of Maximus are you know behind him. He's still an amazing. He still, when he shows up, rocks the house. I think his reputation for being difficult overwhelmed him a bit with some people. But mm. he was in Thor: Love and Thunder, and naturally he and. In between green screen and Atlanta, he and um, Chris Hemsworth sat down and did they chop shop with a few ideas for Gladiator 2? You better believe it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and by September of 2021, Scott stated that the script was once again being worked on with his intention to direct the sequel upon completion of production of Napoleon. Supposedly early next spring, he will be scouting locations at almost in, as he also enters his 86th year. Bravo, Ridley. Yeah. A I big mean, win. The highest of highs. Very cool. And and I hope it kind of like one thing that was interesting about Gladiator was it did kind of like um cr- uh, allow for other similar style films to be made. Absolutely. Like, yes. Like there's I don't think there's an Alexander or a Troy without a, a Gladiator. Yeah, and I think so- you can argue Last Samurai, Troy, yeah. King Arthur, Alexander, Ridley Scott's own Kingdom of Heaven, and Robin Hood. Yeah, exactly. All these kind of like cool, like you know, semi-modern interpretations of uh, of classical periods or whatnot. And uh, like, it'd be cool to get like uh, another resurgence of those. I'd mm-hmm. love an- another and era I think, of. I think its DNA is even in 
things like Lord of the Rings and even into the world of Marvel, Star Wars, and DC. Oh, for sure. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, but, like, if we could, like, uh, have all that cool stuff, uh, all the Marvels and DCs, but just without the alien goop. Like, let's... Also, less alien goop, more beheadings. Yes, more beheadings! More hanging so, out with Hagen. Really, Scott is at the top again. Was it the third time we've seen him at the top? Yeah, he, <laughs> um, he gets on the top a lot. <laughs> he's at the, he's at the top of the list. He's got his choice of productions to head into next, and we have alluded to it. His next film is the long-awaited Hannibal, the sequel to Silence of the Lambs. We will be covering that movie in two weeks in a double dose, a double shot of Scott Scott alongside of Tony's Spy Game with Robert Redford and Brad Pitt returning to the program. Hannibal is available for now on Prime. Apparently only 11 days to go. So if you're going to watch it, watch it before before the end of the year. Or you can simply rent it. Spy Game is on Peacock or available Mm -hmm. to rent. Both are on Blu-ray if you want to go in that direction. But before we get to those, next week is our 2022 Cinematic Discoveries episode. Always a classic and epic. We are looking forward to it. We are keeping our secrets, our our lists under lock and key, only to mm-hmm. be revealed in the moment. We're going to have a special guest. So we're to, I think we're going to 30 movies on tap. So get oh ready. Yeah, it's going to be a long, It's going to be a good one. Yeah, um, I'm excited. And our guest, like his movies are going to be like, crazy i'm excited yeah. yeah i'm excited to learn from him hear about yeah. some of his choices um although if you thought um if you agree with roger ebert thought it was just a fucking gladiator was just a slog a morose shit numb slog a two-star at best movie check mm-hmm. in with us at the academy academy podcast at gmail.com or on twitter at the acad acad we'll be posting that painting not the real yeah. one Mm-mm. of course you know uh, <laughs> yeah but uh this is our last episode for 2022 thank you all for hanging with us through this year and continuing our epic series of scott scott and everything in between we just we added a movie this morning <laughs> oh my god it's 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 we're never gonna <laughs> so, end it's it's, it's, it's never, never gonna ending. end it's never <laughs> gonna end but it's it's been very fun let us know if you think let us know also on the flip side if you loved Gladiator and you think this series is a blast, our egos could use the boost. <laughs> yes, just anything. Just talk to us, vilify us, venerate us, anything. Whatever, whatever. <laughs> you know you know where to find us. For Patrick, I'm Don. We'll see you next week on the Academy Academy in 20, 2023. 2023? 2023. 2023. I feel like, I, feel like I'm tra- time-traveling Maximus right now. Oh, man, yeah, Maximus. I, he would have cut off Donald Trump's head, I tell you that I am, much. Uh, definitely, if you, yeah, he would, have, he would have been no. like a live, live hero. Yes. <laughs> Him and uh, what's the, what's his, who is the prosecutor? What's his uh, oh fucking no! I know who you're talking <laughs> yeah. about. You, know, you guys know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Uh, uh, I think we should with the podcast credo: strength and honor. Strength and honor. <laughs>